Just a heads up, The Travelers used to be called The Daily Travel Podcast, but with every journey comes change. This podcast is produced by Holocene, a community of creative travelers. If you want to get serious about planning that next trip, writing that book, starting that creative project, or launching that business, we're breaking down the barriers between where you are and where you want to be together at joinholocene.com. That's join, H-O-L-O-C-E-N-E.com. It's really beneficial, actually, to your career if you know French. And I was like, well, screw it. I'll move to France. How hard could it be? Um. This is a series of stories with fascinating people about things unexpected. Just to go and be that kind of uncomfortable for that many weeks in a row, not knowing if I was going to get a job, not knowing what I was going to do. This is the Daily Travel Podcast. When you're really, you know, early 20s, just like, eh, so what? This is about going to the limits of our curiosity and creativity and writing the stories that make up our lives. Because I had no idea what I wanted to do career-wise. So I was willing to go down pretty much any fork in the road that showed up. This is a show about exploring the world to better know ourselves and about turning ourselves inside out to better know the world. By just kind of being willing to take whatever came my way, it sort of forged a path on its own and just happened to be a path that I loved. At 18, Edna Zoe moved to Shanghai to work her way around the world. The idea that you need to give up your career in order to travel the world, that's a common belief, but one that Edna has somehow dispelled along the way. Uh, at 21, she left with almost nothing to live in Singapore, inadvertently jump-starting an international career in sports journalism, eventually leading to one of travel writing. From there, she never looked back, and I'm excited to bring her on the show to explore how someone's able to perpetually travel while still growing a career as we might define one to be. Nowadays, you can see her work and follow her adventures at expatedna.com. Uh, it's late for her and well too early for me, so let's dive right in now and get to know Edna. Edna, what's up? Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited. This has been a, uh, this is actually our third attempt. I'm, an, I'm not going to hold anything back. Full transparency. This is my third time hitting record. It is too early. I'm having some coffee, but it's late where you are. Where are you? I'm in Shanghai. Yeah. Okay. So opposite side of the globe, which is totally. Great. I don't have enough people calling in from Asia, uh, or at least I haven't recently. And most of the people that do call in from Asia are, you know, digital nomads set up in, in Chiang Mai or set up in Bali. Right, right. Let's get to know you here. Let's start with uh, where you're from and how did you get started traveling? Uh, okay, so I'm from Pennsylvania, uh, really close to Amish country. And I got started pretty young, actually. Uh, my parents, starting from when I was about six months old, they brought me back to Shanghai every year to see my relatives. Um, so for 20 years or so, I went back to Shanghai every year and uh, just travel from that sort of was natural to me. We didn't have money. My parents were working minimum wage jobs for a time and, and they still just felt it important to go back and see relatives and be close to family. So I always saw travel as something that, you know, wasn't for anyone rich, but something that you just did. And so when I was 18, I took a year off of college to go to China and teach English. And uh, from there, I just was totally hooked on living abroad 
And right after I graduated, two weeks later, I left the States for good and I moved to Singapore and then I moved to Paris and then Italy and back to China. And it's all been kind of a, a go, go, go since. Yeah. What was it that hooked you in particular? Uh, coming from a small town in Pennsylvania, I'd really never met anyone from abroad. I mean, other than my family in China, but when I was living in, in China and teaching English, I was actually hanging out all the time with people from England and Ireland, Australia, and, you know, Czech Republic, like all over all these countries that I'd only just kind of dreamed about and never thought I'd actually get to and to, to see how different our cultures were and learn like even just you know british slang was so different from american slang and just being kind of immersed in so much culture all the time i just loved it did you feel sort of equipped to travel given your background going to shanghai every year i i thought i would be i surprisingly wasn't actually (laughs) um shanghai is is i don't know have you been no i haven't it's so it's like new york on crack like it's really uh, cosmopolitan, and uh, it'd be like growing up on on like in the East Village, you know, and thinking that all of the states was like that. <laughs> okay. um, so when I got, I was actually first in this uh, city up in northern China called Dalian, and when I got up there, my there. first night is you've been to Dalian? Yeah. Well, the border crossing is in there, so I've been through. All right. Okay. Um, well, that's Dandong, I think. Oh no, I. I- they stamped my passport in Dalian. A oh, big wow. industrial okay. city. Yeah. I remember landing yeah, yeah, in Dalian yeah. and it was like I'd look out the window and uh, it was just in industry as far as I could see. And there were ships that would be – it would be the largest ship I'd ever seen. And I remember – and the plane would just fly past it and then I would see one that was twice as big. And I'd be like, oh my god, that's the biggest ship. And then it would keep going and I would see the next one that was like the size of uh, – <laughs> felt like half of Manhattan. <laughs> I mean I just couldn't believe what was happening in Dalian. Yeah, it's huge, massive huge city. seaside I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, and I hadn't either. Um, So I got there and it's, you know, it was a small, like, third tier city of six million people. And, you know, (laughs) compared to Shanghai's, like, 20 million. uh, And I remember my first night just sitting there and in, like, my dorm bed because I was also living in university taking Chinese classes. (laughs) And I was sitting there just, like, on the verge of tears because it was nothing like Shanghai. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? so it was a it was a bit of a rough transition for maybe the first couple of weeks, but then I really quickly got into it. Yeah, was it just the uh, the, the warmth of the people, or the just your fascination with difference and new experience? I think it was a bit of both. I think it definitely helped that I had a basic level of Chinese as well, so like I wasn't totally lost. Um, but otherwise, I think also because of Chinese exploring the kind of expat community and it was a really really small like 40 person community um everyone just kind of knew each other and we were all really close really quick mm, that's yeah that's really nice so it, you found a place to sort of belong as soon as you were there exactly has belonging ever played a theme in your travels Totally. Everywhere. Um, I'm very much an extrovert and a people person. So like when I, when I go to a city and I can't immediately find a community, it really affects how I feel about that place. So um, like in, in Singapore, I didn't like it for the first four months because I, I you know, didn't find a, a crew. And in Paris, I actually didn't like Paris for the whole first year. And I was kind of like well-known on my blog for not liking Paris. Um, <laughs> and it really came down to not quite finding the right people um, you know, and feel like you belong in a community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, one of the reasons I was asking that is that I've seen a pattern. I've, I've, uh, 
uh, interviewed a number of people who have grown up as a either a third culture kid or a minority in the United States and have always traveled back home. And they there is sort of a relationship. Your relationship to travel and uh, and your identity are tied to going home or rather going back to a place w- in which you have heritage and having sort of a built-in travel community there. And then when you go out and explore the rest of the world, there's a sense of like, who am I? Where do I fit into this world? Just like where do I fit in? There's a puzzle piece that you or you were the puzzle piece that fit in back home in Shanghai quite nicely. So I feel like there's I've noticed this pattern of looking for that over and over again. Yeah, I don't know that I look for it, but I definitely get that sense um, coming from a Chinese American background. Uh, I was, you know, born and raised in the States. And so I especially coming from like a very small town in Pennsylvania, I very much feel American. And so to come to Shanghai or to come to China or Asia in general, and to, um, I don't know, not quite feel like I belong anywhere. Like I'm, I'm too Asian for, you know, to be truly American in people's eyes. And then here I'm way too American to really be Chinese. Um, I don't quite actually feel like I belong here at all sometimes. <laughs> Which is interesting. But maybe that keeps you on the road. Maybe that keeps you looking for the next destination. Absolutely. I love that. Um, I mean- and I, one of the, the, sorry, yeah, one of the pieces I wrote on my blog that's resonated most with people um, is a post on encountering racism abroad. And it's amazing how many people have written in and, and said they've encountered the same thing, whether it's in Asia or in Europe or even in the States. Um, everyone kind of encounters that uh, here or there. And you know, it's part of a reason why they, they kind of keep going. Does that sort of thing affect your judgment or your perspective of a certain place? Or does that usually just happen on the individual level? Uh, it happens on an individual level. I mean, it it depends um, where it is. Like Paris, I encountered it a few times, but because I was living there, I could, you know, just brush it off from individual cases. I think if I'd just been visiting Paris and encountered these kind of interactions, it might have, uh, you know, colored my view of the city. But for the most part, I'm able to just kind of say like, nope, it's just that person. It's not the whole country. overall i think that's a really important point to be made because there's so many hesitations that people might have to travel and uh i think fear of racism or fear of being uh uh alienated abroad and this is for anyone even if you're living as a majority in your own country going outside of your comfort zone uh in any way is tough to do but particularly going and experiencing what it's like to be a minority somewhere i think can be a really valuable experience but it's a little intimidating and uh yeah and but you're Never going to, um, you know, change people's perspectives either. It, it it kind of helps everyone, you know, even if it's, uh, I don't know, sometimes annoying to be on the receiving end. It's great for everyone involved because then, you know, these other people can see like, hey, yeah, there are Asians in the world traveling. Um, and just opens everyone's eyes. Particularly if you're running a blog or sharing the things that you find along the way, which I really respect. Um Edna, then, so take us from where you were then in China to moving into this life of perpetual travel. Uh, Yes. So when I graduated, I knew that I did not want to stay in the States. Um, I'd just gotten so hooked from living abroad in China. And I had one friend from college who had ended up moving to Singapore with his company. And uh, he had a spare room. And his company paid for his rent. So it was essentially free rent. And he's like, yeah, you can crash in my spare room if 
if you want. And so I was like, well, you know, I've just graduated. I'm poor. I'll go where, <laughs> where the free rent <laughs> is. Great. And so I bought a one-way ticket to Singapore and uh, I had $700 to my name and crashed in a spare room until I found a job, um, which was with a reality television show in Singapore. So real quick, and, how were you able to find a job? Did you have a work visa? What was the plan there? Yeah. So Singapore has a working holiday visa, just like Australia, just like the UK. Um, but not many people know about it. It's for six months and oh, wow. it's really easy to apply for online as well. I mean, Singapore, everything is efficient, right? So I applied online. I got my uh, acceptance online and then just brought it to their Ministry of Manpower, um, which is a great name. <laughs> and then great it took name. all of like 10 minutes and they thumbprint you and then bam, you have a working visa. It's really easy. And um, so, yeah, I got that and then found this job on Craigslist of all places. Uh, is that a big uh, thing in Singapore? Because, you know, why not? No, it's not. I, yeah. It was my last resort, actually. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, I, I found that job the day before I had said I was going to quit and move to Vietnam. Like I'd called up a friend and was like, you know what? Singapore is too hard to find a job. I'm, if I don't find anything tomorrow, I'm getting on a plane to Vietnam and I'm just going to teach English there. And uh, of course, as luck would have it that day, I found a Craigslist ad for a social media manager of a reality television show. And I applied and I got it and I worked there for nine months. What qualified you at the time to get that job? Um, it was a mixture of things, partly that I was very active in social media already. I mean, the, my degree is in politics, so I definitely didn't have the qualifications and I was, you know, straight out of college, so I didn't really have the experience, but this was also kind of a startup production company. They had maybe like, you know, four people working on the entire staff, um, and so they're willing to take a chance on me and they knew that they could get me cheap because I was going to pretty much take any job that came my way. And so it was like kind of a win-win for both parties. And uh, yeah, I, it was a great experience. I learned a lot about just even general like office things and what it's like to have, you know, a boss and work <laughs> in that kind of environment. I remember working in New Zealand and feeling like maybe a week into it, I was like, this is a completely different experience than anything I'd had before because all of a sudden I was sort of in the world of day-to-day -day life with the people who were living there. And all of a sudden I said, wait, now I think now I'm living here. Now I'm no longer traveling through. I'm actually uh, taking my time through the day to get into a routine, to do the things that I have uh, uh, only ever imagined doing back home, which is, you know, going into work, checking out, et cetera, like that. For me, that was a new experience. Did you find something like a sort of similar change when you started working there? Yeah. I mean, I'd never been to Singapore before I, I moved there. I didn't even know where it was on a map, really. Um, so I, I didn't know what it was like to travel there. But yeah, there was a sense of just like, well, you know, I, I wake up, I go to work, I party on the weekends, I, you know, go to the gym, I go to the pool, whatever. Um, and it was it was kind of actually nice to be able, I, I'm actually kind of a fan of routine, you know, so it's kind of nice to be able to, you know, go with my colleagues to lunch during lunch hour or, you know, talk to my friends about coworker issues or something like that. You know, I kind of enjoyed having that routine. Right. Well, now you've got the framework too to at least maybe not the framework, but the comfort. Now you've got the comfort to travel and find work and 
integrate into a society. I mean, this is a good place to practice. I feel like Singapore is so international that it's going to be really quick to welcome you in and get you accustomed to doing that. And then this is something that you would just continue to do. What was the next step for you? How long were you there? And yeah. Uh, so I was in Singapore for a year and a half. I spent nine months working and then I spent a few months just uh, living there and traveling around and um, doing some contract work. Uh, but from there, I went to Australia and spent a month in Australia working uh, while volunteering with the um, International Sailing Championships because I was trying to build a career in uh, international sports. And so... Uh, Australia was totally volunteer based and I paid for it out of my own pocket, but I thought it was worth it to build my career. And so after that, I moved to Paris because I wanted to learn French uh, again for international sports because um, this surprises everyone. But, you know, the Olympics are in French and English and World Cups are in French and English. And so uh, it's really beneficial actually to your career if you know French. And I was like, well, screw it. I'll move to France. How hard could it be? Um, <laughs> and Luckily, I found a job in Paris relatively easy and uh, kicked up some French, but not as much French as I would have liked. Um, but, you know, learning learning any language in the capital is hard. I mean, learning Chinese in Shanghai is difficult and learning French in Paris. It takes a lot of effort because you're just constantly surrounded by people who speak English and uh, English-speaking expats. Um, forcing yourself into a sort of an environment of failure is the best way to learn a language I feel like and when it's already there to sort of support the, the, <laughs> the it's Eng a crutch English. exactly it's a crutch yeah. right. I feel like to figure this stuff out on the road so you're, you basically just took us from like three different countries and three different jobs and uh, you're figuring all this out in your early 20s this is a time when most people you know either move back in with their parents get a first apartment set up shop somewhere in a comfort zone so that they can figure their career out but you had, you know, you've decided to try to figure things out on the road, which means that you need to coordinate airfare, travel, cultural adjustments, moves, language. You know, these are like, I mean, I feel like moving is big enough. Moving to another country is a next step. Moving to another country that doesn't speak the language is yet another. Are you making things really difficult for yourself at this point in your life? <laughs> um, I it was difficult. I don't know if it was just like me being a dumb 20 year old. <laughs> it never just seemed that difficult. I was just like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, so what if I don't speak French? I'm sure I'll figure it out. Like, worst comes to worst, I can pantomime. I don't know. It's just kind of like a, you know, what's the worst that can happen if I go kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, to be sort of reckless or unplanned is a, it's a great way to be because you, the more you travel, the more comfortable you become with that and the less sort of afraid of fear itself you're going to be the sort of the 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 concern of getting there and not being able to figure it out washes away yeah and like you you're not too concerned with being uncomfortable where like i feel especially now that i'm oh god i just turned 26 and i feel so old um but now i look back and i'm like oh i don't know that i would do that again like just to go and be that kind of uncomfortable for that many weeks in a row, not knowing if I was going to get a job, not knowing what I was going to do. Like, that's something that when you're really, you know, early 20s, just like, eh, so what? You know, whereas now the older you get, you want comfort, you know, you want stability. 
that's the time to to take advantage of that. I mean, I feel like your early 20s, it's not too late. I mean, I don't think that when you get into your 30s or 40s, it's ever really too late. And I can submit well, no, examples, right? Like all the people I've interviewed that have actually made the change well into their 50s well, or yeah, 60s. Well, yeah, of course. But, yeah, but, but to your point, I mean, it that is really a sweet spot to attempt to go out and fail things because you're still in this sort of mindset of learning. You're still in this mindset of development of your career. And uh, if you can get used to some of the things uh, and make them normal early on, then that can break down the barriers it between eases, you know, yeah, yeah, eases totally. that transition. Yeah. So what uh, you said that when you were in Paris, you really did not like it at first. Uh, how long? Were, how long were you there before you did begin to actually appreciate it? Uh, so it was the whole first year that I didn't like it, and it was going into my second year that uh, I met the group of friends that would become my kind of. Paris rock uh, met them all at a pub crawl actually <laughs> um, where all the best friendships are formed uh, and actually met my boyfriend at that same day and that same group of friends um, but yeah it really took that group and over the next few months we had house parties every every week and we would go out to I don't know we would take road trips to Belgium we just had a lot of fun and I finally felt included and I felt welcome and I found my my community you know and somehow that totally changed the whole city and how i saw it and before i was like oh the city's so gray and it's so boring i don't know how anyone like can be so in love with it and afterwards i'm just like i've totally done a 180 and now i am that american cliche where i'm like oh paris is so beautiful and i can't wait to go back and um it really was the the people that changed it for me after a year yeah i love that all right so because nowadays you're considering Paris to be basically a home of yours, right? Yeah. 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 Like when I'm, I mean, I go back at least once a year and when I have nowhere else to really travel to like Paris is home base. How often do you return to Paris? Uh, Because that sounds so romantic. Yeah. It's usually about, I mean, I left Paris about a year and a half ago and since I've been back already two or three times. So uh, I'd say it's maybe once or twice a year, but I just quit my job to travel full time and I've already got four trips to Paris planned within the next six months. Wow. So going back pretty often. Okay. So I feel like I have to ask just based on all of this, if anybody's listening and they're thinking, wow, this is really cool. Like to be able to set up a career and move about internationally, it sounds really exciting. I'd love to get to a point of comfort there, but how do you, how do you afford to fly back and forth uh, around the world? Four trips to Paris. That's, that's a whole lot of money right off the bat right there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have some savings. So for the past year I was working a, a very comfortable, big corporate job in Shanghai, which, uh, I took partly because it offered a big paycheck and I knew I could save up money uh, to travel. Um, and so there's that. And also I save a lot when I travel in accommodation costs because I either hit up every friend or acquaintance I've ever met and ask if they have a couch I can stay on. And from that, or I hit up couch surfing actually, and I'll stay with strangers. And from that, I'm able to move my costs pretty much to transport um, and when you really take out accommodation, it's not so bad to to fly. And then flying within Europe too. Um, my Paris flights haven't been that expensive. And Shanghai to Paris, actually, my first flight coming up, it was less than five hundred dollars. Wow, that's a great deal. Yeah, it's it's not as expensive as you'd think, actually. Yeah, I think that's an important point to be made. And then I think that the the other point is that, and you made this, that you're working, right? Like this was, or at least you were, uh, you had, you've always been wherever you've gone. 
continued to build your career, which is sort of the unique thing is that this isn't just a sort of round the world trip. This is like year after year, getting work, finding work and finding relevant work that's building a career in the thing that you want to do, which is either uh, freelance journalism or sports, uh, sports writing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, so. I think that's really interesting in that uh, just having the simple mind shift or perspective change that this work exists beyond your own borders is an important point to make for anybody that wants to do both those things. Uh, it's not something that most people think. Usually it's a career break or you quit your job or you need to travel to sort of find yourself and, and get yourself back on track so that you can start a new career. Most people don't even consider the option of maybe I'll just attempt to travel and build a career. Uh, right, which, you can combine the two. Yeah. So, how difficult has that been for you, though? Just because we've we've kind of covered what you've done and uh, how you've sort of integrated culturally, but like finding work along the way. How do you do that? How do you um, how do you convince people to hire you, for example, when you're halfway around the world? Uh, and how difficult is that whole process over and over and over again? I think that's something that also helps with being young because I had no idea what I wanted to do career-wise. I had absolutely no path. So I was willing to go down pretty much any fork in the road that showed up, right? So when in Singapore, this opportunity came with a reality TV show, like, you know, I wasn't interested in in reality TV, but I took it just for the experience. And then uh, when I when I moved to Paris, I took any job that came my way and I ended up being an English tutor to this lovely eight-year-old boy. And, you know, maybe that wasn't super career building, but it paid really well. And that allowed me to learn French um, and travel, which is what I really wanted to do. And, um, and what actually we haven't really covered is a lot of the time I was contracting as a sports journalist, and that's what really built my career. Um, so I was able to, to have this job in Paris, supplement my income, and then, you know, during the London Olympics, I was able to take the summer and, you know, because uh, working on the school schedule, I wasn't working in the summer anyway. I was able to take a month and go to London and work the Olympics. And then I was able to negotiate with my employers for a month to go to Azerbaijan for a FIFA event shortly after that. And so by just kind of being willing to take whatever came my way, it sort of forged a path on its own and just happened to be a path that I loved. Love that. So did you get into sports journalism for uh, the opportunity to travel or were you really interested in the topic or both? Both. Um, it's a it's a cart and horse thing, but uh, <laughs> I've always loved the Olympics since I was like six years old or seven years old. I remember watching Atlanta and just being totally entranced. And from then on, I remember as like a six-year-old being like, I want to work for the Olympics. And so um, in school, I, I studied politics because my school didn't have an international relations major. But I, I thought if I went into that kind of field, I could find my way into the Olympics. And um, I mean, ended up being a totally different way that I got there. Uh, but I mean, it's just something I've always wanted to do. And partly because, you know, they are held in different cities every couple of years and um, every event. I mean, it's not just the Olympics. There's, you know, of course, the World Cup, but then each sport has its own championships. And there's so many opportunities to travel when you're working in the sports industry. They actually have a name for it. They're called Game Gypsies. Game Gypsies. And I ultimately, yeah, I Love ultimately that. want to, to be one of those. That's such a cool thing. Where did you originally hear about this or what sort of sparked your... What what caught your attention about this? Uh, yeah, so when I was in Singapore, 
I volunteered for the first ever Youth Olympic Games, which is really what kind of set all of this in motion. And uh, a few of my kind of mentors there were were actually game gypsies. They'd gotten their start in, you know, Torino or Vancouver or even earlier, you know, and they just, they went from games to games, uh, you know, using their expertise at, at each game. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, I want to be that. I want to be at every Olympics and just be called up to work them, you know? Because once you're kind of in that industry, people know you. Yeah. All right. So then, I mean, that's cool because you made it, you got those jobs, you started doing some of that work. But recently you've quit and you're kind of going out to do your own freelance writer slash nomad thing. Uh, what is your motivation for doing that and going freelance? Uh, so when I was working this corporate job, I I really lost the time to work on my blog. I know some people can can juggle both a full time job and a, and a writing, but I'm not one of those people. I uh, I got really drained working a nine to six in front of a computer, and when I got home, I just did not want to look at anything anymore. And so I I found myself drifting from my blog and I used to post on my blog like three, four times a week. And suddenly I was down to maybe once, twice a month, if that, you know, and it made me realize that I actually had enjoyed writing and I'd enjoyed the blogging community and, um, and my photos as well in the photography community. And so it just got to the point where even though I didn't hate my job and I enjoy having this routine, I, I needed to allow myself the time to write and to just see if I could, actually make something work from writing full-time interesting is there something that you want to say or maybe a bigger impact that you want to have that you feel like you weren't having there it's hard to say i corporate is always tough um because it's i was working for a very large american uh vehicle company and like even though it was very fun and we did very fun content and videos and stuff ultimately you know i wasn't writing about something I was passionate about and I really missed uh you know doing something I was passionate about and really affecting people you know like I have a few blog posts where I get a lot of emails about them still where people are like thank you for writing about this you know I'm really glad someone else feels this way or has opened my eyes to this and I missed having that kind of impact and I felt like I had all these stories that I still had yet to actually write and I've got you know notebooks full of notes and ideas and that we're just never going to get, you know, never going to see the light of day if I kept working this nine to six. And so I, I kind of also want to, yeah, get all those stories out and see how I can uh, impact people more. And part of that is I do want to show people that it's possible to have a career and travel at the same time. And I think not enough people really understand that. And so I'm trying to get my name out there to really show people that it can be done. You know, Working in corporate uh, for me was an experience similar to you and everything you said kind of hit home with me. It's this idea that you go to work and you do work for other people. And even if the work's interesting, even if the work is maybe even fun or the people are fun or um, there's some degree of fulfillment there, uh, there's a big difference between the work that sort of fatigues you and the work that recharges you. The sense of, you know, uh, I get off these these 
these calls right here, you know, like recording with you and doing this kind of work. And I am a hundred thousand times more energized than when I hit record at the beginning of it. Right. And that's, that's simply related to the fact that I love this and I feel like we're doing something that matters. Uh, and pursuing the projects in life that recharge you, I think is a really good litmus test for finding the work that, uh, that not only fulfills you, but, uh, reiterates upon itself when it comes time to finding the energy to keep on going to sustain a career doing it and ha- and be oh, happy yeah, at the same time. Totally. Yeah. I mean, especially during Olympics or a sports event, I'll work like 16 hour days, 18 hour days. You're thriving off of like four hours of sleep, but everyone loves it and they do it because I mean, you're so passionate about it that, you know, why wouldn't you? And ever since I quit, I mean, I've only just quit about a week or two ago, but I've been spending so much time on my writing and I spend, you know, 10 hours straight just writing, which I could have never had that focus in my corporate job, you know, but I, I don't even care. Like, I love it so much. And it's great to actually feel that kind of, yeah, that burning passion again about something. Yeah, I love that. All right. So Edna, since we're running out of time here, paint us a picture of your, uh, your next steps, your, your, uh, the future that you foresee for yourself. And with all of this sort of uh, uh, comfort, that you've sort of built up living on the road and this uh, career that you have sort of maintained away from home uh, and still afforded you this life of travel. It's really cool. I'm just curious what now that you're going freelance, uh, what is the adventure that lies ahead? So moving ahead, I want to, I've, I'm taking my savings. I'm going on the road. I'm going to work on my blog full time. I'm going to become a, you know, travel writer. We'll see how that works. (laughs) (laughs) It works. And yeah, and uh, I'm going to be spending the next seven months, at least mostly in Europe, um, many countries around Europe, but also a couple of visits back to the States, uh, a couple of visits back to Asia. And then I want to move to Brazil or South America early next year and hopefully try to get in back to the sports game as soon as possible. Love it as a freelance professional. Yes. Very cool. I mean, that's great. And I think the one big key takeaway is, I mean, you want to get into travel writing and do that sort of thing, but you have this, uh, this back catalog or this, this, uh, portfolio of work that is like, you're a sports journalist. You know, most people that want to travel think, all right, well, I'll get into travel writing. Uh, you sort of did it backwards and instead got into something that afforded you the ability to travel. And also build your portfolio. And now you're getting into travel writing after the fact. Um, I think that's great though, because it's uh, because you haven't squandered the time doing something at home, waiting for the opportunity to go. Instead, you went and you figured that figured it out along the way. Yeah. This to me, that's the way to, uh, embrace the sort of, uh, discomfort of travel, the, the, the sort of perpetual, uh, failures that you know life kind of throws at you so that eventually you can just shrug them off move on to the next thing whether that's a language whether that's a culture whether that's a new work opportunity or it's the challenge the ultimate adventure I feel like of going freelance and doing your own thing yeah it's the ever having all of your eggs in one basket scenario yeah absolutely and now where can people go to find out more about you your travels and your work uh, so they can find out more about me at my site which is expatedna.com and I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I've recently got into Snapchat, surprisingly. <laughs> me too. Once I figured it out. <laughs> You'll have to find me there. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah. there's a little bit of a learning curve. There um, is. But now I'm surprisingly into it, which my 18-year-old sister is loving. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Google expat Edna. The great thing about having a name like Edna is that you really can't not find me. 
<laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Google expat Edna or Edna. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking your time to be here, sharing the story, and hopefully this inspires someone listening to not think of it as a choice. Yeah, right? You know, like to have to choose between yeah. travel or your career. It's not about You can that. have it all. <laughs> you can have the world. Uh, it is out there waiting for you to take it. Uh, Edna, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Totally. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Travel Podcast. For show notes and links to everything in this episode and more, head on over to dailytravelpodcast.com. Join our Facebook page of Explorers and subscribe to our newsletter for the best deals and resources to help make your next trip life-changing.